0: Hi, I'm George, and Alex is here too. Say hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. Fantastic. Uncommon Commons is now on Patreon at patreon.com slash uncommoncommons. There are currently two tiers with plans for more in the future. Supporting us at the $1 level gets you access to all of our bonus content, including the Common Area, which uploads new episodes twice a month. For $5 a month, we will do listener shoutouts right here at the start of the episode. Now, Uncommon Commons is a passion project, so don't feel pressured to contribute, but it is greatly appreciated. For more information, go to patreon.com slash uncommon commons or click the link in the description. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy this episode of the Uncommon Commons.
1: The following episode contains topics that may be triggering to some listeners. Please read the content warnings listed in the episode description before continuing on. Listener discretion is strongly advised. All stories, characters, and situations are fictitious. Today's stories are The Quiet Ones, written by George Plank.
0: And One Act of Kindness, written by Alex Vitale. Check check one two check check one two one two sibilance sibilance.
1: Will you just hit record already? Oh, uh, yeah.
0: Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Exit Pursued by Death, the Void's premier true crime podcast. The
1: Void's only true crime podcast.
0: Hey, this thing was your idea. I don't know what you're talking about. What about last week? You're telling me that wasn't a show pitch? No, John. I said
1: I'm going to strangle you and that they'll never find the body.
0: Which brings us to our first installment of the program. This one sent in by Mr. Eas. In the summer of last year, Dave Thompson was found dead in his apartment. Authorities had linked him to a string of disappearances in the area, and it was believed that his injuries were self-inflicted. The following is a testimonial from Mr. Thompson's next-door neighbor, Mariah Kilbourne. I'll tell you what I told the police. I didn't really know Dave all that well. In fact, up until the news picked up the story, I didn't even know his name. He kept to himself, mostly. Hardly said a word to anyone else in the neighborhood. You know what they say about the quiet ones? I, I, I digress. Mariah Kilbourne, a 67-year-old retiree, has lived in her house for the better part of three decades now. She has seen many neighbors move in and out of the small house on Codex Street. I remember the day he moved into the neighborhood. For the most part, life in our little suburb is peaceful. Not much ever happens here. Not while we have the neighborhood watch and the homeowners association hard at work. Not to brag, but I always get a shout out from the HOA because of my flower garden. The property at 17 Codex Street had sat pretty much abandoned after the last owner up and left late last year. I'm not one for gossip myself, but Julie in the house on the other side of me thinks that he may have run into a little bit of legal trouble. And just as I'm telling you, I told her that that would explain the sirens. The house wasn't what I'd call stately, but it was by no means run down either. I actually took a tour of the property in the interim months during an open house. Two bedrooms, one bathroom, all on a single floor. No attic space, but that was made up for by the fact that it did have a sizable basement just underneath the main structure, accessible by a staircase. Just when most of us thought we would be stuck staring at a permanently empty house, there was a car in the driveway. I remember distinctly, I was sitting on my porch, drinking my morning cup of coffee. I hadn't been sleeping much lately, and I figure it's better to stay awake rather than to get only a fraction of sleep, you figure? Anyways, I see this young man carrying several large boxes from his car into the house. Real unassuming type. His hair was a dark brown and cut short. The heavy lifting was making his glasses start to slip down his nose. I don't presume to be an expert in all things fashion, but I doubt that any of the judges on Model Search would call his ketchup-stained hoodie tray Chic. All in all, I wouldn't say anything about him was out of the ordinary. Anyway, so there I am, sitting on my porch, drinking my coffee. It's a hazelnut blend, in case you're wondering. At least, that's what it says on the little pods I use. I know you podcast types love the little details like that. Uh, Focus. I'm on my porch, watching this guy unload his sedan, unpacking his whole life, when he looks over at me. I give him a wave, and he just nods at me with a half-smile. Not the most polite, but he did have his hands full, so I let it slide. He unloads the last box from his car and shuts the door to his house. And that's the last I hear of him for a couple days. The next time he crosses my radar, I hear him long before I see him. His car pulls up to the house, and him and this blonde woman get out. Those two are cutting up. She's draped over him and laughing at everything he has to say. She was wearing a red dress, and he had on this black turtleneck. Much more presentable. If I had to guess, I'd say that both of them might have had a few drinks between the two of them. The two entered his residence, and he must have switched on his stereo or something to that effect, because loud music started blasting, loud enough that the bass practically shook his window panes. I can't imagine how the other neighbors handled the commotion. Myself, I was fortunate that I was already awake, working on one of my side projects. I pulled down a section of my Venetian blinds to glimpse at the house. There was no sign of movement, though all the lights had been turned on, which seemed odd at the time, because... From my spot, I could see all the windows facing me, including the half window which looked out from the basement. Like I said, all the lights were on. At around two in the morning, the music stopped. I guess even party animals need to get some sleep at some point. Not me, though. I was up for the rest of the night. The next morning, Dave Thompson was seen leaving his apartment alone. When questioned by the police, he said that he woke up that morning to find the young woman gone with a note on the pillow saying that she had called a rideshare. He went to work and didn't think anything of it in the morning. None of us thought anything of it at the time, Mariah continues. I was already up and about tending to some business in my lawn. Through some notches in the fence, I saw him head to his car. He looked a little spacey, as if he wasn't all there. I dropped my trowel and I waved to him. He doesn't even see me. Uh, Or if he does, he doesn't acknowledge that I'm there. He climbs in, turns on his radio in his car, and drives off without a word. This is how most of us would see him for the next few days. He would go to work and seemingly immediately after drive home and hole himself away from the world until he had to leave his house again. Now, just ask Julie. She'll tell you that there isn't a single bigoted bone in my body. I take all types of people. So when I say that a few nights later, I was surprised to see that he brought a young gentleman back home with him. It has nothing to do with their lifestyle choices. As before, music was turned to 11 and the lights in the basement were on. I couldn't have begun to imagine what he was doing down there. The next morning, I saw him leave his house in the same days as a week prior. He must have checked his phone a half-dozen times before he drove to work. The young man's name was Daniel Santiago. When police checked the incoming messages on Mr. Thompson's phone, they noted a text sent from Daniel saying that he had to go due to unforeseen circumstances. Daniel was a frequent of the club scene in the city. Of the victims of this particular incident, he was the first one to be reported missing. In total, 12 people would go missing within the span of about six weeks. A lot can happen in six weeks. My flowers are really coming in this year. Every couple days, Dave brings someone new to his house, and then the next morning, he leaves alone. From my garden, I wave to him as he gets into his car, and each time, he mostly just ignores me. Close to the end, his hair had grown a lot more wild. His hoodie had at one point been the exception, now the rule and he had developed dark circles under his bloodshot red eyes. Now, Julie brought up to me the recent string of missing people. and this time, there must have been nine or ten of them. When I saw their pictures, I was immediately able to ID them. Is that right? ID? Identify. I recognized them from all those loud, sleepless nights. I think Dave might have felt that the heat was on. As soon as I told Julie about Dave's late-night visits, she told Bobby, who told Tim, who told Sheila, who told Trayvon. Soon, it seemed, the whole neighborhood had their eyes set on Dave whenever he'd get home. Sheila would shoo Mark and Suzanne indoors and give him the meanest look you'd ever see. One day, the police arrived to ask him a few questions. It was a bright, sunny day, so I'm sitting in some lawn furniture to listen in. After that, he starts picking up the daily pace to and from his car pausing for a moment to glance over at my house before running inside and closing his door. Soon he's not leaving his house at all. Being the good neighbor that I am, I decide to pay him a social call. If I couldn't get to the bottom of things, then maybe I'd do something to put people's minds at ease. I knock at the door, but there's no answer. I try again, maybe four or five times. His car is in the driveway, and even with all of its charms, our little suburb is too far away to walk anywhere. So I knew he was inside march around back and i lift the window to the den open just as i did when the last owner was there even in the middle of the day all the lights were left on i saw him lying on the couch in the living room when i decided i should probably call the cops when the police arrived on the scene at 17 codex street they found dave thompson with fatal self-inflicted injuries in one of his hands was a razor covered in a mixture of blood and paint in his basement they found a series of half-finished oil portraits each one depicting one of the victims. Next to him, on the couch, was a scrawled note that just read, I'm sorry. The media had a field day with that one. This horrible monster was off the streets and we can all rest easy again. In all likelihood, Dave was little more than an aspiring artist who wanted someone to model for him. But every time he got someone to do it, something would come up. At least, that's my theory. Not messaging someone back... I believe the kids call that ghosting someone? Fitting, I suppose, seeing as they probably are. The police never found the bodies of the missing persons. I doubt they will. But now we can get back to more important things. Have you heard? My flowers are the talk of the suburb again. It's amazing what the right fertilizer will do. The problem is finding it. I'll be without for a while. At least... Until someone new moves in next door. I couldn't be sure, but I think Dave was on to me. He was just so quiet all the time. You know what they say, it's the quiet ones you have to watch. So I did.
1: Exit Pursued by Death is made possible in part due to contributions from our listeners and the constant support from our sponsors.
0: Sponsors like Void VPN. Is your security threatened on a regular basis? Are you worried that someone might know exactly where you are at all hours of the day? Then Void VPN is the right fit for you. The Void Private Network obscures your location and kinesthetic sense to make you safer. It does all that for your computer? What's a computer?
1: Moving on. Does the coolness of your current pillow remind you of the still coldness of the inevitable grave? Would you like to break free from the corporeal reality for six to eight hours every night? With the Void Top Pillow, you can... And just this week, they're giving 20% off your first order when you use the promo code NULL, that's N-U-L-L,
0: at checkout. Our last sponsor this week comes to us from PostageSquares.biz. Postage Squares is the only mystery box designed entirely for philately. John, you can't say that on air! It's not that bad. You know, when I was younger, I used to be into philately. Some things are better kept to yourself.
1: Now, back to our regular programming. My story this week comes courtesy of Benefactor. Thank you, Benny. Stale cigarette smoke and old mothballs. That's what room nine of the Traveler Motel smells of. Warm, flickering streetlight filters in from the parking lot outside, bleeding through the slats on the blinds. I sit hunched on the edge of the sunken bed with my elbows balanced on my knees, unlit lucky strike hanging between my fingers. The lighter is heavy in my pocket. I can't lift it. Instead, I set my cigarette down on the bedside table and stand up. The deadbolt chain is difficult to unhook from the door, but it comes loose after a little jangling. The night air is hot and sticky, the cloud of gnats thick. It's a long walk to the coffee machine, and the sludge it dispenses is not worth the effort. I return to room nine with my quarry to sink onto the bed once again. The coffee tastes as bad as it looks, and I think back to when I could get a good cup. Rosie always made good coffee. 6.15 a.m. at Rosie's diner was as quiet as ever. It was only the three of us regulars— "'plus Rosie and Donald behind the counter. "'The ceramic mug was hot in my hands, "'enough to scald me if I held on too long. "'Sipping from it proved divine, "'a comforting dark roast that never failed to warm my chest. "'The day I missed a morning with Rosie's coffee "'was the day my life was over. "'As I sat in my usual booth in the back corner, "'the bells on the front door jingled. "'A young man stepped in. "'His face looked familiar, but I couldn't place him. "'Everyone's faces looked familiar,' always drawn and glaring or painted with false, hollow grins. He sat down at the counter, striking up conversation with Rosie almost immediately. It was far too early for conversation, so I went back to my coffee. Class would be starting in about an hour, and I would need to get out sooner rather than later if I was going to stop by my office beforehand. Downing the dregs of my energy for the day, I slipped some cash under the mug and stood up to leave. Punctuality was not in my forecast. The lip of my bag caught on the edge of the table, spilling the contents over the floor. Pens and papers scattered over the linoleum tiles. The few patrons milling about jumped, watching with what I knew was disdain as I fell to my knees and began to gather my belongings. It was typical of them, and at this point I expected nothing less from the spiteful members of my species. Maybe they were glad about my misfortune. Though, as I shoved office supplies haphazardly back into my bag, I felt a presence beside me. Oh, shoot, let me help you with that. Next to me knelt the young man, quickly snatching up papers from the floor. His hand outstretched and offered them to me, a smile playing on his face. Not a great way to start your morning, eh? Here's the rest. Bewildered, I took them. The young man, with bright blue eyes and ruddy cheeks, smiled at me. It wasn't the tight-lipped ones that by give, with the sarcastic grins of my colleagues or the pitying smirks from my parents, but a genuine smile. It warmed me to my core. I mumbled my thanks and stood, The young man followed suit, dusting off his pants. His nice, light jeans were marred at the knees with dirt. You you didn't have to do that, I said dumbly. He shrugged, and his muscles moved beautifully below his flannel. No big deal. Have a good day, man. With a flash of another smile and my pitiful attempt to return it, he sat back down at the counter. I fled through the front door, bells jingling behind me. He became a regular after that. I would get into Rosie's every morning at six a.m., he would walk in around 6.15. We didn't talk, not beyond greetings, but every morning he would smile at me as he walked in. He was the only one. I always smiled back. The young man, at the time I didn't know his name, liked routine. He'd sit down at the counter, order a southwest omelette and a coffee, and read the morning paper. I'd taken note of how he liked his coffee, too. One sugar, two creamers. He wore different flannels every day— always with jeans and the same corduroy jacket. He smiled at everyone, and they smiled back. His smiles to me, though, were different. They meant more. His teeth were brilliantly white. Every day he'd leave shortly after I would. In the two weeks since we'd first met, I'd figured this out by cancelling class. The thought had struck me as I lay in my lonely bed staring up at the ceiling. I never had seen him leave Rosie's, and I began to wonder what the rest of his schedule looked like. "'He seemed to be about college age, but I hadn't seen him around campus. "'The bus he took each morning told me all I needed to know. "'The blue line stopped at the corner of Maple and Main every morning at seven, "'and its second stop was Pridewell's campus. "'It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out where he was going. "'Resolving to follow him on the following Monday. "'I slept better than I had in years. Two days after I'd finally learned his class schedule, "'he held the door to Rosie's open for me. "'I knew I was loved.' Jack. Jack Teller was his name. Every morning Jack Teller would get his omelette and his coffee, and every morning I'd sit and watch him do it. I had moved from my former place in the corner, scooting up to one of the booths closer to the door and closer to where Jack Teller sat at the counter. He still smiled at me, every time he caught my eye. One day, a few weeks after I'd learned his name, Jack Teller got on the blue line and I followed him. My old mobile was beat up and had rust on the front bumper, but it could still keep up. Besides, I knew our podunk little town pretty well, and I'd taken that line countless times when I'd been a student. Jack Teller's usual path was easy to follow. Out the door of Rosie's Diner, right onto Maple Street to pick up the bus, climb the bus at seven every morning, the blue line turned left onto Main, then right on Cedar, then took a right out of the roundabout onto Opportunity Way. The bus would drop him off on campus. Jack Teller would go to class. It took me a long while to learn his route, and it took even longer to learn his class schedule. Though I never asked, he took a number of finance classes, so I assumed that to be his major. Jack Teller took a lot of late classes. His last one, accounting, let out just before the last bus went into town proper. Sometimes Jack Teller made it on time. There were a few occasions, though, where he didn't make it on time. Those days he would hitchhike. I hated seeing him do that, he would climb unknowingly into the cars of these wretched grinning people and smile right back at them. He didn't know how hollow their kindnesses were, how bitter and spiteful they could be. That, I think, is what drew me to him in the first place. He was so genuine, so good. He was new, unique. Jack Teller was perfect. I had learned to wait behind, long after my own classes had ended, to watch Jack Teller. One night in late April, his accounting class ran late. "'Jack Teller missed the bus on April 24th, 1976. "'The parking lot was almost entirely empty, "'and Jack Teller had started to walk down the road towards town. "'I climbed into my Oldsmobile and followed. "'About half a mile down, Jack Teller stood with his thumb turned up. "'His hand was outstretched. "'Slowing to a stop beside him, "'I reached across a passenger seat and opened the door. "'In the dim light of the moon it was difficult to see his face, "'but that brilliant white smile was as evident as ever.' Hey, man! thanks, Jack Teller said, climbing into my car. My feet are killing me. No way I was walking home tonight. His voice was melodic, and it felt divine to have it addressing me again. I smiled at him, though my voice nearly failed me. Where are you going? I asked hoarsely, though I already knew the answer. Back to town? Yeah, Jack Teller replied. I miss the bus. Could you drop me off on Main? I can get home from there. I nodded. I'd seen him walk home plenty of times by then, and even knew where his house was. Number 89, Neck-O-Land Road. I could have dropped him off. We made our way towards town, with Jack Teller making polite conversation all the way. "'You're a professor, right?' he asked as we took the long stretch back to town. "'I got a couple of friends who take your biology class.' He made a point, not to mention how well they liked it. That was fine. I knew how most students felt about me, how most people did. They hated me.' That was fine. Jack Teller didn't hate me. We took a turn onto Wind River Run as he began to lament about final exams. And you know, I wouldn't be so worried about them if they weren't for— Hang on. I think we took a wrong turn. We're fine, I assured him. Nothing to worry about. I know where we're going. It had been months since I'd first met Jack Teller, since he'd first shown me kindness. Every interaction we'd had since showed growing fondness and mine only grew with his. To be alone with him, with Jack Teller, would be sheer bliss. "'You can pull over the car. I-, I can walk from here,' Jack Teller told me. His voice wavered a little, losing some of its melodious charm. His fingers gripped the door handle. My voice had turned saccharine. Jack Teller, my kindness, my love, would come home with me. I wanted him, no, needed him, to trust me. My home could be his.' "'and he'd smile that shiny smile as I opened the door for him. "'He opened a door, all right. "'He opened a door, and he leapt from my car. "'I slammed on the brakes as hard as I could, "'swerving off the road. "'Jack Teller stumbled behind me in the dark, "'sprinting sloppily towards town. "'Making the sloppiest U-turn I had ever made in my life, "'I swung the car around and floored it after him. "'It didn't take long to catch up at all. "'He couldn't leave, couldn't think poorly of me. "'I had to catch him, stop him, explain myself.' Jack Teller was kind. Jack Teller would understand. As I pulled up alongside him, he veered off the road, running into the woods beside us. Again I hit the brakes. Leaving the Oldsmobile, idling on the side of the road, I tore off into the woods after Jack Teller. Only when he was out of breath did I find him, stumbling blindly through the pitch-black forest. His chest heaved beautifully, silhouetted against the tree trunk he leaned on. When his eyes fell on me, he made to bolt again. I grabbed him by the arm before he could. The noise that came out of Jack Teller was not his voice. Gone was that angelic tone that I'd grown accustomed to. What replaced it was visceral and guttural, and bit into my very soul. Let go, you freak! he howled, trying to wrench himself free from me. I'm gonna... I'm gonna go to the cops, you creepy bat... The sentence was never finished. My world shattered around me, hopes and dreams and emotion falling away like ice off a glacier. There was no Jack Teller. His kindness, the affection, the love he'd shown for me was a lie. Jack Teller was every other pitiful person on the planet, and I was left as hated as the day I'd met him. The sentence was never finished, as I pinned him against the old cedar he'd used for support. The sentence was never finished, as I wrapped my hands around his throat and squeezed. When at last he'd stopped gasping and squirming and struggling, I let go. His body once that of an Adonis, slumped and crumpled to the pine-covered ground. I stood heaving above him. Foam still bubbled from his lips, catching the filtered moonlight in its popping froth. Numb, I hoisted his body over my shoulder and returned to my car. He fit well in the trunk. Out of the open I could see him a little better. The spittle still trickled from the corner of his mouth, running down his chin and dampening the collar of his flannel. His eyes bugged out, bloodshot and terrified. In that terror, though, I saw something more. There was love. I closed the trunk, climbed into the driver's seat. Jack Teller's corduroy still sat in the passenger's seat. I did not go to Rosie's diner the next morning. It's been nearly a year since I dumped Jack Teller's body in the river. It's been a considerably shorter amount of time since I had taken my last lover. He lays behind me on the bed, neck pockmarked with tiny crescent wounds. Just like Jack Teller, his love had been false— just like jack teller foam bubbles from his barely parted blue tinted lips outside my door a car pulls besides my old mobile then another then another all swerving into the parking lot lights claw through the slats on the blinds first blue then red then blue again the sirens wail and a gargled voice calls over the loudspeaker telling me to come out with my hands up i do not move from the bed the only move i make is a gentle stroke along my lover's leg Someone knocks against my door, pounding against it until it rattles in its frame. I do not move from my bed. None of my lovers were true. None of them had any real emotion. I've remained unloved all along. I pull my corduroy jacket tightly around my shoulders as the knocking stops. Someone kicks down the door, and a gun is trained on me. If I could not find love from Jack Teller, perhaps the public will love me.
0: I think that went well.
1: Sure. Where did you get all of the recording equipment, anyways?
0: Oh, just somewhere in the back rooms. There's a lot of stuff back there. It was only a matter of time before I came across something useful.
1: This thing looks pretty old. How do we know if it recorded us at all?
0: Let's find out.
1: Was it fully rewound before we started recording?
0: I think so.
1: John? John, put down the gun. What are you doing with that?
0: Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Exit Pursued by Death. Uncommon Commons is a podcast.
1: It was written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale.
0: Our theme song was composed by Charles Adam Robinson, and our logo designed by Sam Vitale.
1: Our social media manager is Rebecca Tewksbury. Follow us at... Underscore comments on Twitter.
0: Uncommon underscore comments on Instagram, or email us directly at zero null street at gmail dot com.
1: Rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: Stay and remember, nothing, nothing
1: is, is real. real.